0: what's up everybody i'm back with another edition of the state of bitcoin podcast where i'm joined by the man the myth the legend the bitcoin boomer gary leland gary and i discuss uh what he's looking forward to in bitcoin his bitcoin journey orange pilling people a lot of great great stuff and bitblock boom the great conference that he puts together which i am going to do a little ad read in the show but use promo code green candle As well, if you want to buy a ticket for 10% off of anything that you purchase for BitBlockBoom, so use that promo code. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear from this podcast should not be taken as financial advice. Everything is the opinion of Gary and myself. And if you're listening on, on anywhere you get podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. Share this with a friend send it around, give it a five-star rating, subscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe, do the whole thing, help a brother out. All right, now let's get into the show. Bing bong. I am back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I have Gary Leland, the Bitcoin boomer himself, in the waiting room. We're going to talk about everything to do with Bitcoin, his backstory, BitBlock boom, and much, much more. So stay tuned for another action-packed episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button, help a brother out, help grow the program. But first, big shout out to the sponsor, Pleb Lab. I'm rocking the shirt today. So shout out to the boys, uh, Carr and everybody down in Austin, Texas. If you haven't been down there yet, what the hell are you doing? You need to go down. They have a bunch of events around Bitblock Boom uh, later this month. But... They also have a Nomad Pass and a bunch of remote things. If you want to check out and help support Pleblab from a distance, you can do that. Check out pleblab.com. They got a Nostra Devs course. I believe it's only around like $30 and you get sats back if you purchase with Oshi. So be sure to check that out. And if you're planning on going to BitBlockBoom and you haven't bought your ticket yet, use promo code GREENCANDLE and you'll get 10% off your whole order. Use that 10% to stack some more sats. You know, come and join a bunch of Bitcoiners down in Austin, and Gary and I will dive all right into you know the plans and everything like that for the conference. So enough from me. Let's bring Gary on up. Gary, how you doing today, man?
1: Yo, doing good. I, I didn't know that uh, Plan for the Lab was a sponsor. That's a good group of guys down there. We have a uh, Testnet Super Testnet is doing a workshop um, yeah. at the conference, and Car is going to be there, and uh, Michael with uh, Oji is going to be at the conference uh, ex- exhibition hall. So yeah, I didn't know they were involved as a sponsor. Very good. They were good guys. Yeah, doing, yeah, doing God's work
0: down there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Pleb Lab's absolutely amazing. I mean, the the Bitcoin scene in Texas in general is just crazy. So um, yeah, let's start there. You know, I mean, you, you're having the conference in Austin, Texas. So, you know, from you, uh, you know, you brought up, you know, Super Testnet, Car, Pleb Lab, Michael from Oshi, like a bunch of these guys who are you know building doing absolute great things so you know what was the motivation to uh you know kind of keep it rolling and bring the conference Bitblock boom to austin well i just uh thought austin
1: you know well austin is the tech hub you know for yeah you know, i actually think here's here's my lay down i think miami is like the crypto conference capital or the crypto capital of the united states but i think austin's the bitcoin capital of the united states so when I started getting to a certain level on, on the conference, it just kind of made sense to go to Austin.
0: Yeah. Um, and I mean, down there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of people building things in Austin. I mean, it seems like it's a central hub, right? We, you know, you have the commons, you have, you know, obviously Bitblock Boom now, um, you know, for for that big conference. And then you have PlebLab, of course, too. But uh, let's back it up a little bit. Let's tell us, tell us the orange pill story. How did you find Bitcoin? And uh, yeah, let's go
1: from there. Well, I found out about Bitcoin when it was like around a hundred dollars, I guess. Um, I went to go see an old friend of mine, an old podcasting friend of mine, in Dallas, and uh, I was another podcasting friend of mine was there, and people were walking into his office. It was like an office sharing place, and if people were walking out, and he was—they were giving him money, and he was handing him thumb drives. And I was like, "Mark, what in the hell are you doing?" And he goes, "Well, they're buying Bitcoin from me," and I said. I don't know what you're talking. About. He goes, well, it's kind of like online stocks. That's how he explained it. I said, oh, never mind. I'm not interested in that at all. And so I passed that opportunity up. And then I heard a friend of mine, Adam Curry, kept talking about Bitcoin. Someone gave him 33 of them, you know, as a tip uh, for his show that he used to do, Daily Source Code, back in um, 2004, 2005, I think. And he was telling me about it. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. So I was kind of interested in it, but he, we didn't, I didn't hear enough about it. Then I was speaking at a conference, a big B conference in Dallas, and a friend of mine, Tony, after I finished speaking, I'm walking down the hall, and my friend Tony is standing there talking to three or four of my friends, actually, about Bitcoin, and I think I must have came in on the last 10 minutes of the conversation, but during that time period, he said that it was the uh, missing protocol for uh, the internet. There was not a protocol for money, and that was the only protocol that was really missing, and yeah uh, you know, i did my first e-commerce site in 96 and by that time i had maybe 20 websites you know selling products plus my podcasting websites and so i said hey can, that really interested me since it was about something i did for a living a, a new protocol i said can we talk about that i only heard the last 10 minutes that i've heard of it before so i think it's like one o'clock we sat on the couch and at six o'clock we still we're still sitting on the couch talking about bitcoin and so uh i left and went home and listened to a found the podcast about bitcoin and listened to it on the way home when i got home i called him up say hey, are you going to be at that conference tomorrow and he goes yeah it's only a mile from my house i said well it's 30 miles from my house but i'm going to come back if you can talk to me some more so i drove over there and we sat on the couch and talked to him about from about nine to noon then he took me to his house and showed me his mining machines and um i came home that night and started buying bitcoin yeah you know? so that's um You know, so don't tell people it's like online stock. Every time I see that guy, I tell him how many millions of dollars he cost me. You know, if I had had bought it a lot earlier, it was a lot cheaper. I'd have, I'd have, what, 30 times as much Bitcoin. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Man, that's awesome. Well, that's a great story. But uh, I mean, it, it is interesting, right? I mean, because you've kind of seemed, you know, you have like an e-commerce background. So you've kind of always been, you know, maybe it's, uh, towards the beginning of like these tech runs, you know, with, uh, you know, the dot com boom and everything like that. So, you know, let's let's talk about that. You know, I mean, for people, you know, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to preface it, right? I mean, you're, there's usually when it comes to tech, it's a lot of kids my age maybe a little bit younger, but, you know, you yourself, you're a Bitcoin boomer, self-proclaimed. And, uh, you know, a lot of people when it when it comes to tech and, uh, you know, as they get older, they get a little bit more scared. So, you know, why didn't Bitcoin, I guess, really, I guess, scare you off in a sense when, uh, you know, it is kind of, uh, you know, cryptography, right? The shadowy super coder kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I didn't see it as that. Um, I, I really never saw it as, as that, and I, even when uh, Ross's situation, I didn't see it as that. I mean, I, I've never seen it as that. I've always seen it for what it is. It's uh, uh, freedom money, you know, is what it is. I, I think I grew up during, I uh, was in high school during the Vietnam War and all my friends were going to Vietnam. So I maybe grew up a little more uh, as a protester as a kid uh long-haired hippie freak that was against the war when i was in high school so i saw it from that aspect as freedom money i never saw it that way and and you're right though most of my friends are so non-techy that it's amazing you know and the worst part of that to be honest with you coming from uh speaking from which young people don't care about but since you asked i'm going to explain it the worst part about that is when you go to a party you go to a party Saturday night, and there's like 50 people there, and you know them all, and they're all like around your age, and there's nobody you can really have a conversation with about anything you're interested in. They either want to talk about their grandkids, which you're fine. I have grandkids, but that's not my life. You know, uh, I don't want to talk about every time I'm talking about something. That's not my own. Or they want to play with golf, talk about golf. I don't play golf. Takes it too much time. So, but nobody, seriously, nobody out of the 50 people will know anything about tech. You know, they may know how to open their email and they may know how to get on Facebook. So it's really kind of hard to like, you know, uh, enjoy yourself at, at parties. So my wife has to tell me, do not tell these people about Bitcoin when you get there because they don't care. I said, well, they always ask me. I don't know what to tell you. But I think that happens to everybody, no matter how old you are. So that's not an old person thing. But yeah, it's hard to hang out with your peers and have a conversation about something you're interested in. If you're really into tech, because it's like when I was in podcasting. You know, I started my first podcast in like 2004. I was one of the first 50 podcasters on the planet. You know I'm in the podcast Hall of Fame now. and uh, when I was I was like mesmerized with it I thought this I said, this is great technology. This is going to change the world, which it did. It changed a lot. Uh, it changed media as we know it today. Um, but anyone anyway, I told about it, they just they couldn't see it at all. They just they, I got a radio in the car. Why would I want a podcast? I don't understand. And then they just they they just couldn't get it. You know why why would I pay for that? I get it free now. Why would I pay for anything? Paid so so I ran into the same thing. So I've run into that. And when I started my first e-commerce site in '96, everybody said it was stupid. Nobody's going to buy stuff on the internet. And I said, well, I would buy stuff on the internet. And that was uh, I think I sold my store two years ago. The store and websites, you know, that I started in 1996, and I ended up with 20 different ones. So. I'm used to that. You you kind of get used to that, you know. If you're thinking outside the box, that's it. Majority of people don't think outside the box. That's it. They just do what they do and they keep doing it. And if something new comes along, they don't want to change because they like what they're doing. It's like when I moved to Texas in 79, I sold cable TV door to door and it was so new that we were there to actually pay us to go knocking on people's doors going, "I'm with cable TV. We're here to like hook you up for cable TV, free installation. And we would get like 20 bucks a house, which is a lot of money back then in 79. You know, my rent was $125 with free electricity. So 20 bucks a house was good money for talking them into buying the uh, cable. So the biggest thing you had though, young people, even then, which I was a young person then, I was like 24, young people always wanted it, especially if they were in the service because they would lived somewhere where they had cable. But an old person, like myself the answer would always be i've always had three tv channels so all i'm ever going to need is three tv channels because old people don't want to change they're in a box and they don't want to get out of that box and
0: that's a shame a long answer no that's a great answer no i appreciate it but i you know do you ever try to talk about like maybe the hard money principles or kind of uh, the inflation aspect of bitcoin when it comes to it right because i think you know the tech might be intimidating, right? But I mean, it seems like the hard money principles almost like resonate maybe with the younger generation a little bit more as well because you know we're the ones getting hit with inflation. We're seeing the uh, we we you know the younger generation doesn't necessarily have a lot of these you know assets, whether it's a large stock portfolio I, or you know real estate or something like that.
1: I, I, now don't be wrong. I never said I had a hard time talking him into buying Bitcoin. Okay. You just assumed that. I never said that before. <laughs> uh, well, I, I have talked Uber drivers into buying Bitcoin before we get where we're going. And whenever I'm at a Bitcoin conference, people, when we get out of the a bunch of us get in an Uber car, they're always like, I can't believe that guy bought Bitcoin before we land, before we stop where we're at. But, you know, I found the easiest way to orange pill somebody is to simply talk them into buying a small amount with whatever DCA tool you want to use, whether it's SWAN, whether it's Strike, whatever. Um, I'm I'm one of the first advisors to SWAN, so I own some of that, and I'll open this. So if I'm talking about them, uh, I guess um, I'm not talking about them just to push my value, but they're all the same. Um, As far as what they do, dollar-cost averaging, it's easy to talk someone into dollar-cost averaging. That's what you do. You talk to someone in the dollar cost averaging, I'll give you an example. I talked to a guy in the dollar cost averaging who's a high value wealth guy. And I think you start a okay, do a hundred bucks every two weeks. And I'll go ahead and that, because that was just hell, that wasn't even his dinner, you know, one night. And um, he called me a month later, two months later, and said, okay, I just bought a $100,000 worth. What should I do next? And, and I had that happen all the time, not always on that scale. You know, I have someone I talked into buying ten thousand. Like my oldest friend since second grade, I called him up and said, "Man, Robert, when it was going up to sixty, I said you need to start buying. It was like maybe twenty-five at the time. This is going to really shoot up here for a while. You need to start buying some of this." So I talked him into buying ten dollars worth a week, and he called me two months later and said, "Okay, I just bought ten thousand dollars worth." So he's not as high value, so. If you can get people buying small quantities on a regular basis with a tool like swan where it sends them some information it sends them updates and so they look at it they end up buying more i mean they really do now that same person robert who i talked about in second grade when bitcoin was three thousand dollars i talked him into buying some bitcoin and i don't know maybe about a third of a bitcoin i guess something like that i think Uh, at coinbase and he never looked at it again so when it was going up to the run up to 60 uh, to 60 or 69 whatever when i called him i originally said have you looked at the price of your bitcoin yet the value of your bitcoin you bought back in 2017 have you looked at it lately He goes, i haven't looked at it since i bought it in 2017 i said well you should open up that wallet and look at it and he was like "Oh, oh my gosh that's really done well And then that's when I said so so what I'm saying that is he bought that and he made a ton off of it percentage wise, but he never bought any more because he never looked at it again and he never got educated. He just bought it because I told him to. But the same person, when I talked him into buying $10 worth a week or whatever, uh, two, three months later, he bought $10,000 worth because he got educated on it, which he didn't plan on doing. So because um, he was checking to see he's getting the email updates, telling him news articles, whatever. So to me, that's the thing. If you want to really orange call somebody, you need to, like, get them dollar cost averaging and the rest will magically happen all by itself. But if you talk them into buying it once, unless you're calling them every week, you going, know, hey, open that wallet and see how much you're set for. You should be buying some more. You know, they are just going to buy that one time. So, I'm a long winded guy here. You don't have to. I can take up your whole hour probably with five questions.
0: That uh, that's perfectly fine, man. That's what these are for. But I, I kind of want to keep diving into this orange pill stuff because I think it's really interesting how how you're you're going about it. Um, because yeah, you know, I, I do think like, you know, for me, when I when I try to orange pill people, I always get uh, you know, Bitcoin and crypto kind of uh you know convoluted together, right? I mean, like people always kind of want to group them together, they bring up FTX, like all the kind of big name news sources of, you know, the major exchanges crashing and all that kind of stuff. Have you ran into that any recently Um, or has that, you know, kind of, I guess maybe swayed some people away from potentially, uh, you know, orange pilling or starting that DCA you think?
1: What I normally hear from people like, like last Friday night, uh, myself, my wife and two other couples went out to eat at a nice restaurant and one of the guys uh, the guy who bought a hundred thousand dollars was there and he's very happy bitcoin's gone up quite a bit since he bought that um and my other friend who has none was there that couple and he was and he started a conversation about bitcoin blah blah blah, blah. i said yeah i'm real happy I'm, I'm still buying all the time you know i still buy all the time i mean my dollar cost average um and he goes but didn't it drop that's what they used to say but didn't it really drop a lot and then, so that's what I find is the more thing that they have on their mind is not the fact that you know we have Sam Bankman-Fried or we have whatever scam it was. It's it was worth sixty-seven thousand dollars or whatever. And now it's worth thirty, and they think it's worth ten. You know, so that's their concern is that it dropped. So that's the thing that more explaining goes into. It. Explain, yeah. But it also dropped from. Ten thousand to one thousand at one time, or ten thousand in two thousand seventeen, it dropped from nineteen thousand to thirty five hundred. But well, look, it's thirty thousand today. You know, it came back pretty damn strong. You know, and there was a point in time where it would drop from a thousand maybe to a hundred, came back pretty damn strong. It's you know, it's kind of like uh, Michael Saylor's thing about uh, New York buying property in New York in the 19, in the seventeen seventies. You know, you're kind of like kind of late to the game. No, you're not. You know, I, I like that scenario. I use that a lot other night. I go, well, I'm kind of late. All right. I said, oh, you yeah. not. So I, I find more people complain about or are worried about the fact that it's dropped. They don't understand the cycle nature of it and that it's dropped over and over and over and over. But every time it's roared back higher, which that's where we're at now, we're getting ready to hit that roar back higher. I'm real excited about the next year. Um, I think this is such a good time in, in Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, so let's let's dive into that. So, you know, what gets you most bullish like going forward, right? I mean, we have a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's been the, a long drawn out bear market, it seems, right? But there's been a lot of building in the background, right? I mean, we, we mentioned Pleb Lab at the beginning of this. You know, a lot of these, uh, you know, companies are kind of popping up that are Bitcoin only and kind of building great products. So, you know, is there something that has really stood out for you in this bear market um, that, you know, gets you most excited about, uh, you know, this next potential bull run?
1: I think lightning is going to be the deal. I think the use of lightning and what's happening with lightning is going to be a major thing. And yeah, now we see a Coinbase using lightning. I heard, um, I think I heard this morning uh interview with uh, the pres- president or somebody high up with Uber talking about it. You're saying Uber will definitely take that. It may not be right now, but they definitely will be taking Bitcoin and lightning but they will i can't tell you when but they will instead but i think lightning is probably the biggest advantage because now now you can't say um i can't go buy a cup of coffee with that it takes 10 minutes for that stuff to process and cost me ten dollars in fees to buy a cup of coffee you know that whole conversation is gone you know that that's and that's a real um if you're a sales if you're a salesperson you want to get all your objections out of the way early you know, like if, uh, you saw, if you sold storm windows to people's houses and had to put a lien on their house, you'd want to get rid of the, op- uh, uh, the objection as to whether they own the house or not before you started selling. <laughs> if they said, I don't own the house, well, you go, All right, we got to take care of that. I can't sell you then. Or they said, I need my wife here to help me make that decision. Go, well, let's get her here. Let's take care of that objection. Then you can sell them. Well, if you're trying to convince someone on Bitcoin, you got to get rid of the objections. And that was one of them it is time to... I don't know why you need to make a cup, buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, but that's the one you hear. Yeah, I can't buy. I can't go to Starbucks and buy coffee with Bitcoin. So you you got that off the table. That's gone. I think that's a big thing. I don't know if I explained that right as a um, a complaint or a uh, thing in the way there. But that's what that's how I feel about it.
0: No, I mean, I think like I think you're you're nailing it on the head, right? I mean, I think like the the payments and I think like not only, you know, lightning uh, for payments and micro payments for coffee and, and other things like that in the US, but also it seems like the remittance market is uh like um, re- ready for, uh you know, some disruption, right? I mean, we've seen strike roll out in hundreds of countries at this point, it seems and it seems like they're not really stopping with that so you know hopefully they continue and they're they're using the lightning network to kind of help uh you know facilitate a lot of those payments and i think that's going to continue over time um so uh but but you know when it comes to to lightning right i mean there, it does seem like there's a lot of development it seems like you know some some people struggle with running lightning nodes opposed to um you know i guess uh, and, uh opposed to like just bitcoin core nodes so as far as, like, you know, I guess the adoption of Lightning, what do you think is, like, the biggest roadblock going forward that, you know, maybe, uh, uh, I guess, will slow some of these major companies, right? I mean, you said you said it yourself. Uber's planning on doing it, but, you know, they don't know when. So what, what do you think is kind of slowing them down from accepting uh, potential Lightning payments?
1: I guess the um, fact that the United States really hasn't come out with um, – set of rules are telling us what bitcoin is you know how they feel about bitcoin i mean i don't know what the proper term would that be but you know uh other countries do you know where the sec just like doesn't answer questions even is ethereum a currency or is it a security they won't answer it all they'll say is bitcoin's not a security that's all i've ever heard them say you know they definitely said like, things are securities, but there's they got an in-between land. They won't answer the whole question, you know. So I, I think until there's a set in place, a set uh, determination by the U.S. government as to what's going to be treated. And I think a lot of people talk about ETFs coming, about BlackRock, you know, they got $7 trillion. Uh, I would think with the value, that's like a small country, with the value and the pull they have, I would think they're gonna move ahead of everybody else, even if they filed for their ETF before them. I would think uh, BlackRock would probably still get theirs approved first. Now, um, is that good for Bitcoin? I don't know, it's good for Bitcoiners. I mean, (laughs) if you got Bitcoin, you're probably gonna be real happy, but I don't know if it's good for Bitcoin long run. But when that happens, I would think that would take away that objection and any reasoning and doubt that we have they're going okay the government's allowed them to have an etf on this they're moving forward they're huge they're not going to like change anything so once it's done they're not going to do anything to stop blackrock from making money because blackrock will probably just pay everybody they need to pay you know to make sure that never happens so i, I think that could be the i think this blackrock etf could do a lot of things
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree, right? I mean, if there's a lot of money, I mean, BlackRock it owns like half the world. It seems like so. I I mean, if they want, if they want that to get approved, that's why I said they'll probably
1: be the first one to get approved. And if anyone tries to like do anything against it, they'll just pay everybody they need to pay to keep it going. Because I mean, what's it to them when you got seven trillion dollars or whatever? I mean, you know, you you can give everybody a million, it still doesn't touch your. It still doesn't make a dent in your first trillion. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely seems like that, you know, BlackRock like is one of the major players and they, you know, like like we've said already, they they essentially rule the world. But, you know, it is kind of interesting, right? You brought up like potential regulations of SEC. And now we're having a lot of, you know, presidential candidates kind of come out and, and talk about Bitcoin, right? I mean, we've had you know, RFK Jr., we've had Vivek, uh, you know, we even had DeSantis kind of say that we could still do Bitcoin, so to speak. So, you know, what do you kind of take take uh, any weight in that, like politicians kind of coming around to that? Because it seemed like two years ago we had, you know, during the midterm, or I guess a year and a half a, 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 a ago, we had a, a bunch of politicians come out on Twitter spaces and talk about, you know, Bitcoin when it came to, you know, Senate and some of these other races. But now we're having major political, like uh, presidential candidates come out and make a lot of waves when it comes to talking about Bitcoin. So, um, you know, do you hold any weight in that? Um, you know, are you skeptical or are you kind of, uh, you know, almost like all in on some of these Bitcoin candidates? Like, how do you feel about it?
1: Well, it seems to me like DeSantis, uh, I, don't, I don't feel like he really knows that much about what he's talking about. I, I, I feel like he's just reading some notes. Um, for some reason, that's just the feeling I get. Now, I think uh, Kennedy and uh, Ramaswamy, I think they do understand Bitcoin. Uh, Ramaswamy doesn't make it a big part of his thing as much as uh, Kennedy's making his. And actually, on the Kennedy front, we just, uh, this was a hard process to do. We just got the uh, uh, contact to talk to who asked us to send them an invitation uh, to have him at Bitbot Boom. I gave them not only the invitation, but all the answers, to the questions they wanted to know about the size of it, where it was located, blah, 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 blah. And that went off um, today, you know, to them. So we're hoping we can make that work. It's kind of a short time window, but they knew it was a short time window when they asked me to send it to them. So, but it's not like they reached out to me. I, I worked real hard with my contacts to find out the right person, you know, to talk to, but they... Yeah, they weren't interested. They just said, uh, it's too late or no. They wouldn't have said, send this to me as quick as you can. So um, I like, yeah, I'm really, to me personally, Bitcoin is a big, big thing. And you're, um, I don't want to say I'm a one horse voter that I have one thing I'm voting on um, that concerns me, but if you really get down to it, To me, the Democrats and the Republicans pretty much all do the same shit. They all just screw up everything. I mean, so um, if someone's going after that one thing that I am really, really interested in and makes a big difference to me, um, they have a chance to pick up my vote. Because, like I said, they're all, as far as I'm concerned, they're all all the same thing when you get down to it. I think there's only so much a president can do. Because of all the power out there uh, of the people with money that have special interests. So I think they're limited is what they can do. I don't think any one person can make that big a difference. But I think they could on Bitcoin. And that's a big thing to me, you know, to be concerned with
0: yeah and it's interesting though because i you know you bring up like any one person kind of trying to do something right and i and i want to kind of dive into a little bit of of rfp and it's it's extremely awesome that you you know he might be at Bitblock boom so yeah keep us updated on that but you know he brought up potentially backing the dollar with bitcoin and other hard assets like gold and real estate and other things like that so you know i saw that
1: that was a kind of a uh exciting thing to say that seems to me a hard thing to say but and he was going to do that slowly too i think he was going to start with the uh, maybe 10 percent or something of the u.s bonds or something you know so it wasn't like overnight so if you're starting out that slowly i don't even know if you could get that done in four years
0: yeah i don't i that that was what i was going to ask is like what do you think like about that like even being potentially done because yeah i mean it seems like it's going to be a long-winded process and two, it seems like, you know, he, he is on the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party so far has been very anti-Bitcoin, it seems. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, if he gets into office, he's going to have a lot of roadblocks, not only, you know, just because a president can't really do too much in four years, but he might even have some own roadblocks from his own party. So, you know, as it kind of stands right now, it seems like the implementation of this stuff in the United States is going to take a, you know president at least two terms, and you know it's going to take like multiple bitcoiners on on both sides of things. So it seems like we're still you know as as much as we love to say it in the bitcoin space, we're still very early. But it's encouraging that we're talking about you know the potential of, of bitcoin being on the ballot, so to speak, in this yeah. in this uh, election. So that it's a he, big
1: move this time compared to the last elections. The fact that in four years, all of a sudden, it's some people are using it as their current category. I mean, if you can be guaranteed the right to store your own Bitcoin in your own wallet and you don't have to pay capital gains on Bitcoins, if he just gets that accomplished,
0: that's two big accomplishments for Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, that's huge. But, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm less optimistic about the capital gains because it seems like, you know, at this point, the government wants to get their money wherever they can. And I think that's... uh, as long as they they have the KYC kind of requirements, everybody who's buy, bought on an exchange will, you know, unfortunately kind of have to go about that. Um, I think they're
1: more worried. I think they're more likely. Uh, I know that's what we want is no capital gains, but I think they're more likely to come up with a tax that if you own over a certain amount of Bitcoin that you have to pay more tax or something. I mean, you know, if they look in your wallet, if you sold some Bitcoin, there are people that have wallets that nobody knows in their wallets. You know, there could be a wallet sitting there with a thousand Bitcoins in it and no one knows who it is. But if you're like me and you told people to send you Bitcoin, they pay for Bitcoin on BitBlockBoom, they pay for Bitcoin with Bitcoin. Well, that's going into a wallet. So you could say, oh, there's the BitBlockBoom wallet. It has this much money in it. You know, um, so I, have, I would think it's more likely that they decide they need to tax that with a special crypto tax. Yeah, they probably would tax them all, not just Bitcoin. But I would think that would be more likely than um, them dropping capital gains.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of interesting. I don't th- have, they, They've never done anything like that, though, before, right? Like if you own a certain amount of, uh, I don't know, gold or silver or something or along those lines, right? I mean, no, they, they just took
1: your gold. Um, yeah. So they
0: didn't do that. Um, but they it now have... have- <laughs> In, right that's a hundred percent next right
1: Yeah, that's better than taking all our bitcoin i guess <laughs> yeah um, um but uh, um, you know but in san francisco and they're starting to in chicago i think now this is city government i'm not sure if it's the state of the city but anyway they're getting ready to have a mansion tax um which is kind of like that and anytime you sell a house that's over a million dollars which I definitely wouldn't consider a million dollar house a mansion, especially not in San Francisco. Um, But anytime you sell a house over a million dollars, like when you sell a house right now, you know, you pay 6% to the realtor. You know, maybe you can talk them down to five, you know, and get them to move. Well, now you'll pay the 5% or 6% to the realtor on that million dollar house, and you'll pay 3% uh, mansion tax. That's almost the same thing, isn't it, as what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, that is. That is in a sense. And that, that, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I've seen some of these homes in San Francisco that are priced for a million dollars and they're like single, uh, single story, like no yard. Three yard. Yeah, no Wait. yard, three yeah. bedroom. It's nothing compared to Texas. That's why, I mean, I grew up in Austin. So, I mean, you know, now maybe a million dollars in, in Austin isn't as far as it was when I was growing up. But I mean, still, like those houses, you know, that are a million plus in Austin are very, usually yeah. pretty nice homes. So, My house
1: is is under a million dollars, and I have five bedrooms, six and a half baths, swimming pool, two story, three car garage, pool, and um, yeah, and it's way under a million dollars. Yeah, you know, excellent. So, yeah, yeah, and I have a yard. I mean, you know, so yeah, I, I, I'm just saying, I wouldn't, I would have more of a million of a mansion than those people in San Francisco, and I wouldn't have to pay that tax even if they had it here. Yeah, you know, so I think it's a, that's a that's a fiat tax That's a pretty fiat kind of tax to do. But that's if they can do that, is all I'm saying. If they can do that, I mean, and if that's con- if that's constitutional to do, I'm sure it'd be constitutional to charge everybody on their uh, Bitcoin. They go, Oh, that came out of a wallet that has a thousand bitcoin in it. Well, your cat you don't pay twenty percent capital gains, you pay fifty percent. You know. I'm just making up numbers.
0: Yeah, no, I gotcha. I get, I get your point, though. But um, you know, you you kind of brought up like you know the fiat kind of mindset and like the taxing of all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm I'm curious. You know, how since you've gotten into Bitcoin and kind of like gone down the rabbit hole, learned all the all these you know various things about you know the hard money principles and kind of like the inflation, all that kind of stuff uh, that Bitcoiners know and love to to spout and talk to people. How do you think that this has changed your mindset? Um, when it comes to, you know, things like a home or, you know, a new car or even like some of the, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses kind of aspects of, you know, kind of, I guess, M- American culture right now.
1: Well, I think that, you know, what the thing about Bitcoin is once you really go down the rabbit hole, you know things and understand things that you never knew before. Like I didn't even know the word fiat you know, before I got into Bitcoin. I mean, as hard as that is to believe. I didn't even know that word um so once you go down the rabbit hole you, i think i think it happens to everybody they start thinking differently on spending their money i don't know maybe michael saylor does it you know um because he has enough money that he can still buy 150 million dollars worth of bitcoin and still live like he wants but i think the average person is like um my car that i drive you know um when, uh, we had a big business deal go through maybe four years ago, kind of a windfall. And, uh, my wife wanted to buy a new Lexus. And so we bought a new Lexus for her. And I said, no, nah, I think I just sell your, sell my car and keep your old Mercedes and drive that around. Cause it was kind of a sports car. And, uh, instead of buying a new car and then I bought Bitcoin, you know, um, for, Actually, about the same amount of Bitcoin, maybe a little bit less dollar value than she bought for her car. And so now every time we go somewhere in a car and she says how much she loves it, I go, yeah, you paid like $250,000 for this car. You know, she goes, and she she's like hearing it now because my Bitcoin went up, you know, and her car has gone down, you know, so my uh, driving, to a car, course. So, but I think everybody wants to save money to not spend it foolishly. I think Bitcoin teaches you that, fish your money away. I think, I feel that we're all taught because of the way the money system is set up in the United States with inflation. We're taught to spend our money, that it's good to spend our money and not save our money. You know, I've even had people tell me, I said, man, it's inflation out of control. And they go, yeah, but little inflation is good for us. (laughs) It's good for the Why? And what's good about it? I go there wasn't any inflation for hundreds of years and they've been telling us two percent is what they want that's good for us what's good about it what 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 can you tell me what makes it better for society for us to lose two percent of our value of what we've worked and saved every year so if you save that money for 10 years man you've lost some money at two percent per year and they never can yeah but people think that in their mind that inflation is not a bad deal either that. Or they think they don't think about it like they will under hyperinflation you know when they go i got to spend this paycheck today because it will be worth less tomorrow but they still think there's a lot of people think ah, i need to spend this on something instead of saying i need to put it in the bank you know because it'll be worthless i think subconsciously they think that so i need to just go ahead and spend it but when we hit hyperinflation they'll really start thinking it. oh my gosh speaking of hyperinflation i know we're not there yet but is stuff expensive now? Or is that just an old person thing?
0: No, oh it's expensive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I went,
1: yeah, I ordered uh, just in a year stuff is expensive. You know, like I was ordering banners for Bit Boom. They normally cost me, you know, the pop-up banners. You know, I have the, the shells are good and you just replace the banner. The vinyl inside of it. Last year that vinyl was like $30. This year that vinyl is $52. And one year for a piece of vinyl. That's a big expense. That's a big, it's like, what's that, like 40%, you know? I mean, that's a big increase in a year.
0: Oh, that's a giant increase. And I, and I don't even think it's just like, you know, that, right? I mean, I think like, you know, people have almost become accustomed to the inflated prices of things, right? I mean, when it first started to happen, right, I mean, the eggs were kind of making a around all, all around Twitter, and gas right i mean but you know i'm still driving around here in in tampa florida and gas is still 350 plus like it's not four dollars but it's still in between (laughs) 50 and four dollars and it hasn't come back down and i don't foresee it coming back down anytime soon so i think you know like i said like people are just kind of being accustomed to these these higher prices now where wages aren't really going up um and so i think people are just saving less right i mean like you know you you brought it up right i mean people were are kind of like accustomed to just spending a little bit more because their value of their dollars like losing less and then they're taught you know put your money in a savings account in the bank and it's safe but you know we've seen banks blow up we've seen um you know a lot of uh uh and then we've seen like the inability to basically save right i mean personal savings has gone down and credit card usage has gone, you know, way up. Right. And we still haven't even had student loans open up. We still have had, you know, the fed continuing to tighten and uh, you know, uh, but you know, the job numbers are okay. Allegedly. I mean, I don't know how that that's kind of happening. So, um, you know, with all this kind of, you know, hubbub around everything, like, does that worry you kind of going into the next, you know, having maybe potential bull market because, Bitcoin's been around for, you know, what, since like late 2008-ish uh, time. So, I mean, since that time, it's basically every cycle has been, you know, when the economy is fairly healthy and now it's it's going to be, you know, the next halving is going to occur potentially in the midst of, of a recession. So does well, that worry you at all?
1: That doesn't worry me that much. I mean, maybe it should because we haven't experienced it before, but um I really don't consider that an issue. I think Bitcoin is just going to keep doing its deal. And I think more people will start moving to Bitcoin because of that. I, I think, or I feel Bitcoin has nowhere to go but up. Too much has been built on it. You know, all these ETFs possible is just the latest thing. And at the end of the shows we're winning and we'll continue winning and we'll keep winning and we'll keep winning. And, and, um, People won't be able to get enough of it. There will be a point where we will see it go crazy and people will be going the opposite of uh, you know, your stuff going down so fast that you want to spend it and be going, it's going up so fast you want to buy it. That'll happen someday um, as to when, I don't know. But yeah, I'm not worried about the um, the next couple of years, even though we are going to have inflation, we are going to see recessions and we're going to see things in the Bitcoin world that's never happened. I think it's, it, I'm not concerned
0: all right i like that answer yeah because i mean for me too i i, I kind of think that you know once the fed starts to pivot and maybe go change directions like people are going to be flocking to things like bitcoin so yeah i mean i agree with you 100 i think it's going to be all right but um i want to dive into bitblock boom a little bit so sure um, you know, what's let, let's start on a broad level like what's your uh overall goal with the conference and uh why do you think it, it's set apart from every other conference
1: well we're probably I don't, I would say we are, we're probably the strictest Bitcoin conference as far as being a Bitcoin Maximus conference. We're probably stricter than anyone else. I know there are other people and there are other Bitcoin conferences. I'm not saying we're the only Bitcoin conference, Um, but I think you have different levels of Bitcoin conferences. I put it one end, maybe I just call it Bitcoin Miami because it's always in Miami. I guess I call it Bitcoin National now. I'd put that at one end. I mean I think they're, I think I've actually heard them say their only guidance for being at their conference as a vendor or a sponsor is you have to do something with Bitcoin. I mean, they, they may have changed their policy and I may have understood it incorrectly. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying I think that's their, their rules. If you do something with Bitcoin, you're welcome to come because you're a Bitcoin company. you may also do something with Hex and you may also do something with Ethereum mm-hmm. and you know something with Litecoin. But you do have Bitcoin, so you qualify. Where mine is pretty much the complete, I would put mine at the opposite extreme. And I'm sure, I think Rega is the same as mine. They have the same beliefs as I do. I'm not saying I'm the only one in the world, but I think I'm one of the strictest in the US. And mine, if you can't do anything with Bitcoin, you know, or you'll be asked to leave. I've given money back to people. I gave someone $10,000 back to last year sponsor because. You know, I didn't think they were Bitcoin enough. I had somebody contacted me last week wanting to speak. They said they would take the silver spa, the gold sponsorship, for seventeen thousand dollars if they got a speaking slot. All they needed was ten minutes. I was going, like, ah, that's a nice uh, offer there, ten thousand dollars. Let me see uh what's going on. I looked at their speaking session in Miami and I was going, like, Oh my god, these <laughs> this guy just speak at my conference, you know. Um you know too much talk about nfts and his crew and how his stock was doing better than bitcoin i mean introduced basically his whole crew up there so i think i think ours is i feel personally there are a lot of people who are into bitcoin only okay and if you're into bitcoin only if you're like me i designed a conference that i wanted to go to that's all i did i didn't know if anyone had one they didn't care if anyone had one i did what i wanted to do and If you're like me and you're just into Bitcoin, you do not want to hear another person when you say I'm only in the Bitcoin, and they go, "They're not even into Ethereum!" Like that's some strange surprise. If I hear that again, I think I'm going to like blow up, you know. Um, so I don't go to crypto events ever because of that. You know the reactions I get and the bullshit I get hear from people trying to convince me to buy Pirate Coin. Or I was in the elevator with a guy one time from Pirate Coin when that first came out oh my god that was the elevator ride from hell so there are a lot of people like that though who feel just like i do i mean i knew that it was terrible when i and most of them they all are and i don't want to hear about it and a lot of people don't want to hear about it you know if you're that guy in north dakota let's face it north dakota doesn't have a lot of people i would say you're from alaska north alaska you don't have any friends you know that even have bitcoin you can be the only person in the town that has any bitcoin and if you got into it early and you're a whale, you definitely don't know anyone at your level that knows as much about Bitcoin as you do. So you wanna go to an event with like-minded people. And that's what I tried to create, is people who are like-minded Bitcoin, people. I'm not saying I have that much Bitcoin, but I'm saying I have that belief in Bitcoin that I don't wanna hear about anything else. I don't care about anything else. Um, Sometimes I do, when I'm on YouTube, I watch about other things because I'm curious to see how big a scam it was. You know, I'll go. I knew that hex was a damn scam, you know, or I knew that was a scam. World coin, oh my gosh, uh, you know, uh, you know, it just confirms what you think. Um, but I don't want to have to deal with those people when I go to a conference and dodge those people, I and mean, a lot of people don't, and that's what Bitcoin Boom is. You don't have anyone to dodge. If you're a Bitcoiner, everybody there, you'd enjoy having sharing Uber with, or you'd enjoy sitting down and eating dinner with the whole crew. You know, if not. They get reported to me and I go talk to them. You know, I did have, for instance, at a party in 2022 in Dallas, 22 or 21, someone was there and he was talking about Ethereum, maybe, or I can't even remember what it was. It could have been Zcash, I'm not, not sure. And someone, like, two people came up to me and said, This guy over here is talking about Zcash. I was like, Really? So I go over there because I don't have any problem addressing it. And I go, dude, you're about to get kicked out the whole conference, and this is the first night for talking about Zcash. He goes, I want to talk about Zcash. That's bullshit. Let's face it. Two people came up that don't even know each other. I mean, because I pretty much know the majority of people. It's a small world. He goes, okay, I'm sorry. I won't talk about it again, I promise. I said, okay, one more time, and you're out. I'm just letting you know right now, and you won't get your money back. And I had no issues with it at all. So people come and tell me. Because I don't want any shit coinery at my event. So I don't want them from vendors. I don't want them from people there. Um, so I think people appreciate that, you know, and, and that's who I'm catering after. I'm not catering after the most. I could have a lot more people if I opened it up, I'm sure. I could quadruple the size of the event because what have we got twenty-two thousand shit coins now? You know, so I'd have to quadruple the event if I opened it up. Hell, if I even opened it up, so it just had me, you know, one thing that not having uh allowing people to have anything to do with shitcoin says I really can't get but uh how many exchanges can I get River and does anyone else I mean I, I guess you could consider Swan and Unchained exchange but they're really not even though they I don't consider them exchanges so exchanges you know basically if you go to most of those conferences they're the biggest sponsor you know the top guy that paid fifty thousand hundred thousand dollars to be an exchange they make it both ways coming and going whether you lose or win they're making money and uh, i can't get any of those you know so i'm hampered to a degree but it's okay
0: <laughs> yeah but no i mean I, I definitely resonate with that but i mean yeah I, I i agree too like sometimes i have to peek in on the, the shit coins to see what's going on right i mean i don't know if you saw the video going around twitter yesterday but it seems like there's a uh, going to be a documentary that's coming out on Netflix. Of, of Richard Hart, I think, like the creator <laughs> of Hart or whatever. And he, and he, like, brings up basically, like, hey, if you listen to people like me, you're going to get scammed, like in this documentary. And it's the same day that the SEC is suing this guy. Coincidental timing to say the very least, right? I mean, you know, I, I guess it was just like kind of a matter of time for all these things to happen. But I used know, to how- watch
1: him before Hex came out. Um, and uh, my wife and I, would watch him and just laugh because he's so fucking crazy i mean he'd be a big fat guy wearing a real tight t-shirt all the time and saying how smart he was and how everybody else was an idiot compared to him and he was always the smartest guy in the room and if you didn't agree with him you just were a dumb dumbass idiot i mean he is really if you sit down and watch him talk and uh sit back with the right frame of mind it really is a funny show to watch it really now he's even really done it up even more with his outfits he wears and stuff i mean you know um i haven't seen a show with him lately but i saw pictures of him walking around in his outfits his gucci outfits and on twitter his Prada outfits i mean that's just got to be a hoot if he's wearing those outfits when he's doing his show now with his uh attitude how funny that is and with those outfits it'd be like watching bozo the clown i mean you know
0: yeah. No, I mean, the guy is just like, I, it's a giant clown show. I don't understand like what, what he's doing. But uh, back to Bitblock Boom, you do have an outstanding list of speakers, right? I mean, you already kind of mentioned potentially RFK, but you've got, you know, Max, uh, Max Kaiser, Stacy, Parker Lewis, Preston Pitch, Tone Baze, Guy Swan. I mean, a, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so, you know, with all this, you know, you, you, you said you, you kind of keep it limited, right? Because you want to keep it as a Bitcoin maxi conference um which is great and i i went last year and i really enjoyed it so you know what is kind of i guess the um i guess when you're talking to a lot of these speakers a lot of these big name people that come in and and you know discuss and have talks and you know are kind of interacting with all the other bitcoiners like you know what is i guess the general vibe that they give you following that conference compared to you know maybe uh the, the bitcoin miamis or some of the other bigger ones where you know they have the, the fifty thousand people where this one just has a few thousand
1: um i have not. Never been asked that question before. I have to think. I always hear positive things. That's for sure. Uh, and they always want to come back for the Westport and speak again. So as far as the speaker goes, speakers go, they like that it's a smaller conference. You know, it's not ten thousand or thirty thousand people. Uh, I think everybody likes the fact that it's not a, a bigger conference. You I know that I know for a fact that attendees like it uh, being a bigger conference because you know. If someone comes to a bigger conference usually they are shuffled in the back room from the back room behind stage and they come on stage and then they leave out the back room and you might not ever have a chance to talk to them and maybe you were hoping to meet them where at bit block boom really people pretty much come out of the audience and go behind stage and then go up on the stage and then they come back down and go back out in the audience you know so like one time a story someone came remember who told me that said they were at a ball at our one of our parties because we throw a lot of parties and they looked over by the bar and they were standing um pierre richard safety and moose and someone else i can't remember who the person was and so they went and just hung by them you know for a few minutes because they were kind of intimidated to say hi because they were kind of like they idolized them i guess would be the war but then when they finally worked up the nerve to say hi they found out oh they were great guys and they spent like, a half an hour standing at the bar talking to these guys who were you know he really idolized and that happens a lot that happens a lot at bit walk boom an awful lot and I know there's a word for that someone told me do you like blah 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 and I don't know the word but it was like word was like go standing by people who are famous hoping you'll get to meet them and I say no I just go up and say hey and stick out my hand so there's a word for that but people like that fact that people are there uh, in the audience they they like that an awful lot and uh and then this speakers do you know they aren't like oh i want to talk to you you don't have enough bitcoin i mean you know but people are scared that they are like not worthy kind of like to go from wayne's world you know um this isn't alice cooper up there this is a guy who's a fellow bitcoiner
0: yeah, and and I think like you know that that was kind of the vibe I got as well when I was there, right? Is a, a lot of people kind of like that aspect of it. It's a more of an intimate conference, right? I mean, you can go to the hotel bar or you know some of these parties and just kind of go up and talk to you know some of the quote unquote bigger names in the space, and it's it's great that you know they just kind of want to hang out with the plebs, right? They just you know kind they of they are plebs,
1: people. they are plebs. Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, I don't think
1: I don't think that once you um, once you get well known you're no longer you know of the same mind frame as uh, someone who's new I mean you still have the same mind frame as someone who just got into you know maybe you have a lot of knowledge but someone who's like well, I understand and I want to like follow the Bitcoin path I want to be on the right path you're on the same path you're all on the same path you're all I don't want to say we're all brothers in the same thing we all are going towards the same place you know this the, the main difference between Bitcoiners and Shitcoiners coiners is really a simple thing it really is Uh, while both of them don't have any problem making money, and there's nothing wrong with making money. Uh, I'm as capitalist as you get, and I'm more than happy to admit it. I like capitalism. But shitcoiners just are worried about capitalism and making their money. Where Bitcoiners, the majority, I mean, there may be some who don't want to make any money, um, but the majority of them want to make money too, but they realize that they're involved in something that can change the world. Well, shitcoins don't care if the world changes or not, as long as they're making their money. I I don't think there's any shitcoin out there where they all, whether it's Ethereum or whether it's... And I'm I'm going from one extreme to the other there, I think. They're all shitcoins, but there's none that they're going, we are worried about saving the world. And I'm not saying we're worried, maybe that's the wrong thing, but they feel like they're involved in something saving the world, and they want the world to be saved because they realize the difference Bitcoin is going to make in the world to have... uh, real currency to have real money to have sound money that's not happening with the other ones but with bitcoin the majority of people who are really into it especially bitcoin maxis they realize the reason they're maxi is they realize this has the potential to save the world and that's what they want to do so that's my deal on that i think bitcoin is world changing stuff you know if bitcoin wins the whole world will be better off everybody will be better off
0: yeah. And I love that. And I think yeah, that's I like really we believe point. that. Yeah. And I believe it too. And I think that's a, you know, that a great place to, to wrap it up right there. I mean, how can we come back after that? So Gary, thank you so much for giving me your time today and, and coming on to the show. So why don't you tell everybody, you know, where they can find you and what all yeah. you got going on.
1: I'm just Gary Leland most everywhere. And then for some reason I was late. I wasn't paying attention and someone got Gary Leland. Recently. Some Gary I'm Leland. <laughs> but I also want to make sure everybody knows. You know, when you look at BitBotBoom, there's a lot of different things. I have a lot of people who go and they, and and this is fine for people to do, and they go, gosh, I can't afford to go to everything. But I have a lot of people who just go to the Friday night party. You know, because most of the attendees and most of the speakers are there. You know, and then they hang out in the hotel, you know, lobby. You know, LobbyCon, I think, was created at Boom, So uh, I, I tell people that if they're around Austin, they should come hang out at the hotel even. But they probably should go to the Friday night party if they're within driving range, for sure. The the Friday night party is worth going to, and the hotel is definitely worth hanging out.
0: Yeah, for sure. The networking in there and yeah, LobbyCon is, is great. I mean, I attended the conference last year as well, but I think like that's, that's, I mean, the speakers are are obviously all great and the talks are outstanding. So we definitely attend those, but you know, the interactions that you get just kind of hanging out in the lobby, that's, that's what I always uh, love or why I always love going to these conferences. So uh, yeah. I look forward to, to BitBlock Boom and uh, Gary, thanks for all you, you do. And uh, thanks for coming on, man.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me on. It was nice to meet you in person.
0: All right, well, we are